Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. Today, we're starting a brand new series called Blind Spots. Here's the thing about blind spots. They are, by definition, difficult for us to see. We're blind to them. No matter how much we want to consider our blind spots, we can't do it alone. Our aim with this series is to gain the insight of those who are able to see so that they can come alongside us, even at a distance, and help us identify and humbly repent of the sins that we might be entertaining that we are blind to. And today we're talking about the blind spot of unforgiveness with my friend, Vanitha Reisner. Vanitha is passionate about helping others find hope and joy in the midst of suffering. She and her husband, Joel, live in Raleigh, North Carolina, and they have four daughters between the two of them. Vanitha holds degrees from University of Virginia and Stanford, no big deal, and she's the author of two books, The Scars That Have Shaped Me and Walking Through Fire. Vanitha, welcome to the Journey Women podcast. Thank you, Hunter. I'm so excited to be here. You are someone I've wanted to have on the show for a really long time. We've kind of known each other at a distance because we both have spoken at the Gospel Coalition Women's Conference, and it's long overdue, my friend. I'm sorry it's taken so long. I am so excited to be here to talk about one of my passions, actually. I was so excited when you asked me. Yeah, this was really cool. We had been planning this series called Blind Spots, and we're going to talk about things that we often interface with in our daily lives as Christians that we may not think about a lot, but that are impacting every moment of every day. And one of those things for me has been dealing with unforgiveness and bitterness, even some unforgiveness that I may not even uh, acknowledge or be aware of in my own heart. And when I was thinking about who do I want to have talk about this, I could not escape thinking about your story, Vanitha, because you have this wonderful memoir that I've read and that you wrote a few years ago called Walking Through Fire, a memoir of loss and redemption. And it kind of outlays your story. Story, which we're going to get into later today. But unforgiveness is something that I feel like I have dealt with and I know a lot of the listeners are dealing with too. So I'd love just to start off with that and then we'll unpack a little bit more of your story as we continue. What is unforgiveness? Like we talk about this sometimes, but what might it look like to actually live kind of bearing the burden of unforgiveness? Yeah, well, I think of unforgiveness as holding on to the right to hurt someone because they've hurt us. And I say that because I think of forgiveness at its heart is giving up the right 
to hurt someone for hurting me. And so unforgiveness is holding on to that right or desire to hurt someone for hurting us. And that's really holding on to bitterness, sort of rehearsing what's happened. All of those are components of unforgiveness is rehearsing the wrongs that have been done to you. And it's interesting because I do that for little things and huge things. It's not just these huge life altering things that I hold on to unforgiveness. I mean, honestly, I probably hold on to unforgiveness more because you didn't remember my birthday, which is Christmas, by the way. So I'm expecting gifts, but it's, <laughs> it's like little stuff sometimes. Like you don't get invited to a dinner party when you had invited somebody. You know, you hold on to those things as well as, you know, most people have huge hurts that really run deep. I think the key in all of them is when we hold on to it, that it hurts us. Yeah, that's for sure. And you have had some really big hurts. And sometimes I think it's helpful to hear from a person like you that the little hurts have been just as difficult in some ways to process through as the big hurts. But what did unforgiveness kind of look like for you in your life? Can you share a little bit of your story with us? So... Lots of little pieces and big pieces. So, you know, some of the big pieces that I didn't even deal with is I got polio as an infant in India because a doctor made a mistake, basically. Gave me the wrong medicine. I I had polio, but gave me the wrong medicine. I became a a quadriplegic. Then they discovered that they had made a mistake. And then I also, you know, fast forward through my life, I had a son with a heart problem was doing great after his initial surgery and he was taken off his medicine and he died. So those were two huge life altering things that were when I was, you know, it was right after I was born. So I didn't process that, but I processed the aftermath of that and processed that my whole life, as well as this doctor's mistake for my son. And and those were really hard. They were a different kind of forgiveness though than the personal kind. This was somebody's mistake and it was sort of dwelling on it, dwelling how I was treated afterwards and then praying that God would help release me. And I know this may sound crazy. Those were hard or my son's death was really hard, but it wasn't as hard as the personal things. And and so the personal things, I'll kind of give you a few major ones and then some minor ones that were so hard for me to let go of. Major ones were I uh, met and married a classmate in grad school. We had, a, um, I thought, this great marriage, good friends. And then a few years into our marriage, she had an affair. And that was devastating. Just really could not believe that he would do that. It felt so personal and so awful. And we had just moved to Raleigh, which is um, where my parents live. I was terrified to tell anybody because I thought that was going to make everybody mad at him. I didn't know what we were doing with that. So I went to a counselor actually, and he encouraged me to bring Dave, who was not repentant at the time, but we worked through things in our marriage and it was pretty incredible how God just opened my heart up to forgive someone that I thought I would never forgive. But I still remember Hunter sitting in the counselor's office when he asked me about considering forgiveness. And I was angry. I thought, I am in this marriage. I'm working on it. How dare you ask me to forgive? And he asked me, and I prayed about it. And I was so frustrated that he had asked me. But I couldn't let go of it. I'm kind of a pleaser. So when somebody brings up the idea, I feel like, oh, I got to do something with this. And 
just ended up praying and praying. And this counselor really changed my mind about forgiveness and that he's the one that said it's giving up the right to hurt him for hurting you. And I remember first saying, well, I want that right. I want that throughout our whole marriage because I've been through something hard. And yet, as I started reading the Bible about it and praying about it and really asking God to show me what He wanted me to see, He started opening my eyes. One thing that I did, though, before I even decided to forgive was to keep this journal. So I thought, since he'd had an affair, I just kept thinking about all the things he had taken from me and how bad I felt about myself and I kept rolling them over and over in my head, like multiple times every hour, honestly, Hunter. I just remember sitting there just stewing on it. And I prayed about it and thought, I'm going to write it down because then I don't need to carry it. And then I started keeping this journal where I wrote down everything, every way I'd been hurt, everything that had been hard. And that journal helped me let go of it mentally because I thought it's written down. I don't have to carry it. And I did that and did that until I was ready to say, okay, this is a lot of what I feel like was stolen. This was what was hard. And then I felt ready to forgive. And when I made the decision to forgive, and then every time those things came up, I asked God to help me to release them and not rehearse them. And over time, it really changed me. Like really me, my relationship with God was so different than it had been before. And my husband said, It was incredible to him what a gift that was. So I was so thankful that I was able to do that. And then, though, 15 years after that, my husband came home again and said he had another affair. And this time he left and we got divorced. And so that was a really hard thing to forgive because it's like, I trusted you. Like, how can I even forgive this? Like when you trust somebody and then they betray your trust again, you feel like, I'll never, I'll never forgive this. And at first I wondered if I would. But then I started asking God every day, don't let me be bitter. That was Mm. my first prayer. I would get up and say, don't let me be bitter. Don't let me rehearse this because I know it is going to damage my relationship with God. And, And I want to back up for a second and say that I had known people who had been through affairs or hard things and bitterness was etched on their face. I just remember meeting them and they were very quick to tell me the story of what had happened, which was completely valid, their anger in a lot of ways, but the fact that they couldn't let it go, it felt like it had defined them. And I didn't want that. So wasn't this really amazing spiritual decision, Hunter? It was a decision for me that I started begging God because I thought, I I don't want to go down this hole of unforgiveness. But it really brought me close to God as I started praying and asking Him and reading Scripture. And so that actually was an easier time than the first time in that I knew what God was going to do for me in it. And I just kept praying, don't let me be bitter. Don't let me be bitter. And God started taking that from me. Um, But it was interesting because I was bitter towards my ex-husband's, the woman he had left me for. I was very bitter towards her. And Mm. I hated her, like, pretty honestly. And so I didn't know what to do with that because I didn't, I'd never met her. But I kind of 
knew I needed to forgive, but I didn't even know what that looked like. And then one day I was reading a book. It was actually Francis Chan's book, Crazy Love. And he quotes Frederick Buechner about how God's love basically changes the world. And I felt like God was talking to me. I'm asking you to forgive her. And it was strange because this was a time when I wasn't asked for forgiveness. I mean, there was no even, I'm sorry. And so I thought, how do I even start this? But ended up writing her a letter and was hoping the letter would make her repent and like, let go of my husband, honestly. But it was after writing the letter that I started praying for her. And I'm not that amazing a person. Like, I don't even know why I was praying for her. But I just kept praying that she would come to Christ and that God would let go of this bitterness. And God did that. And it was through those things I've just started to see the freedom that we have when we forgive. So those are sort of the major things. And then the minor things are like my mother-in-law. Honestly, that was a hard thing to forgive. We had some rocky times early on in our marriage and uh, some pretty major misunderstandings after my son died. And so I was angry. I was angry and would rehearse all the words that were said and just the innuendos of like, maybe I wasn't the best mother, not even said, but like, oh, I wouldn't do it that way. And just little things that you can just internalize and repeat and you start building a wall against that person. And I remember I was reading in 1 John, um, how can you love God whom you have not seen if you don't love your brother who you have seen? And I felt like I was like, that's you. Like, how can you say that you love me when you don't love your brother, your mother-in-law? And so that put me on this, like, I want to love her. I want to forgive her for these things. And there wasn't this, I'm sorry that I hurt you. There were times of that, but there were a lot of things that were not apologized for. And yet God helped me overlook things. And that is one of my favorite relationships now in my life. And my husband and my ex-husband and I have been divorced 10 years, but I am still really close to his mom because forgiveness changed that relationship and it helped me stop rehearsing the things she'd done. So those are kind of a few different things of how God has shown me himself through forgiveness. And I'm not the really nice, super sweet spiritual person that just says, God says it, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm one of those people that fights against it and says, I don't want to do it. Mm. Somebody said to me once, the first step of forgiveness feels like death. And it does. It feels like death. You don't want to let go. And I never want to let go. Even after all these years, I still have to tell myself, let go, because this is good for yeah. me. Yeah. And good for God, your relationship with God. Life is crazy sometimes, and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing. They're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the Word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving Word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. 
Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's Word. I'm so like you, Vanita. I talk about this a lot with Bible reading, how people are like, well, how do you you know, gain motivation to be in the text on a daily basis? And I'm like, it's really just, or get your kids in the text. How do you get your kids in the text every day? And I'm like, well, it's really birthed out of my own selfish desires because I just know how much I need it. Similarly, you're saying, oh, I know I have to forgive because if not, it's going to wreck me. So what happens in us? What things might we see in ourselves if we refuse to forgive? Yeah, I think we get really angry. Like we just, um, it makes us short-tempered with other people and even with ourselves. Like there is just a real hardness to people. And one of the things that was interesting is once, and this was at TGC um, six years ago, I did a panel on forgiveness And that was really interesting because there were people in this room and I probably could have lined them up based on who had forgiven and who had not. Wow. The people who had not forgiven didn't have joy. They didn't smile. And I get it. I mean, a lot of them had been through really hard things. But it was interesting because one woman was adamant that she didn't need to forgive and that that was not biblical. And she talked about it a lot and and what had happened. And I remember praying for her many times since then. And then two years later, I saw her at a conference. She sought me out and she said, I want to tell you that forgiveness changed me. And her face was totally different. I did not recognize her, Hunter, because the first time I saw her, she looked so unhappy and so hard and so angry. And the second time I saw her, she was laughing And she said, forgiveness changed me. And that is my picture when I want to say, what does unforgiveness do? It it eats you. It hurts you. And, you know, there's this saying, you know, that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping someone else will die. You know, we are the ones that get hurt. And I saw that in her and I saw her change so dramatically. It was unbelievable, honestly. I can still picture her face. Mm. What is that biblical motivation for us to walk in forgiveness with those who offend us? Yeah, well, the Bible talks about forgiving one another as God has forgiven us. And we even see that, you know, we all pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts or our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us or we forgive our debtors. And So God tells us He has forgiven us. We need to forgive others. And we see that throughout Scripture when Jesus tells Peter, you don't have to just forgive seven times. You forgive seven times 70. So it may be 49 times. We don't know exactly what that means, but it could be 490 times. So there's a lot of forgiveness that God calls us to. And I think it's because He's forgiven us. I I know that is We have the power as believers to forgive because God has forgiven us. And that's why I think forgiveness, real forgiveness, is a Christian concept because the world doesn't even understand forgiveness. It's hold on to my rights. And it was interesting. I spoke at my grad school reunion a few years ago. It was our 25th grad school reunion. 
And I went to business school and I talked about forgiveness, actually. They had like five people give their stories of what had happened. And my husband and I had actually met at business school, but I talked about what happened and I talked about the power of forgiveness. And this guy came up to me in my class and he was in politics in another country. And he said to me, I've never heard of this concept of forgiveness. And I said, really? And he said to me, if people forgave, that would change the world. You know, we as believers think, oh, we all understand this idea of forgiveness, but it was completely foreign to him. And I think that is just something we need to remember is it is possible because of Jesus, because I don't think I could have forgiven without him, because God empowers Mm -hmm. us to forgive. And sometimes I think of this analogy, Hunter, which is sometimes I think we are grafted into the point of our wounding. And that's how grafts happen is, you know, the vine is wounded and the branch is wounded and they tie them together. And that's how branches are grafted in. And I think we are so firmly grafted into Jesus when we take this point of wounding, which is why we need to forgive because we've been hurt. And I I think it's important to acknowledge that. Like there's pain there. Yeah. But when we give that to Christ and we bind our hearts to him and we ask him to bind his heart to ours, then it's his power of forgiveness. Then all of a sudden the power of the vine comes through the branch. And that's how we have the power to forgive is because we are grafting into the woundedness of of our Savior through that. Yeah, truly, there's no better picture of forgiveness than the person of Christ. Uh, You know, one of the things I've read from you on this topic, which there's actually quite a bit of content that you can access from Vanitha on the topic of forgiveness, her blog. She's getting ready to do a series on forgiveness. She's also written her memoir, which one of the themes of that is forgiveness. It's this concept of whether or not forgiveness is a unilateral act or a vertical act. Can you talk a little bit about this? Is forgiveness dependent on the party who needs your forgiveness? Yeah, that's a great question, Hunter. I don't think it is. I think forgiveness is a unilateral act because I would define forgiveness as refusing to hold on to bitterness and giving up the right to hurt someone because they've hurt us. I don't think forgiveness involves reconciliation or restoration. I think those have to have a horizontal component. They need repentance for us to restore, to trust, to uh, reconcile fully So I think there's a difference. And some people put forgiveness in with restoration and reconciliation. And so I think there's a sort of a semantic difference. When people put those together, yes, there is repentance required. But I think for the most part, most of the things we're called to forgive are in ways that I think don't involve the other person. They involve our relationship with Jesus and they are a unilateral act. But I do think there's a lot of people that hold to it differently, and I think it's because they define it very differently. And I think this is important. Forgiveness is not saying it's okay what the offender did. It's not minimizing it. It's not saying there's no consequences for it. It's not saying that we're going to trust again. All of those things, one, require repentance, and two, even if somebody's repentant, there's consequences for our sin. And I don't think forgiveness in any way takes those away. It's really the posture of our heart is what changes with forgiveness. 
What do you mean when you're saying reconciliation, restoration, and what might that process look like? Because I know a lot of the listeners are dealing with extreme offenses, whether it be abuse or maybe even just a toxic kind of relationship. That component seems to be a little bit more tricky. So can you talk about that a little bit? So. I'll just give the example of my own marriage. So my ex-husband, when we were in counseling together early on, I was not able to trust him. I didn't want to trust him. And our counselor said, you don't owe him trust until he wins, earns that back. And he also, after a while, he really did repent. Like, And I saw that repentance had fruit. And that's one of the things my counselor emphasized is the Bible talks about repentance has fruit. You know, John the Baptist says, keep fruit in keeping with repentance. And so I think just somebody saying, I'm sorry, is not necessarily repentance. It is really a changed life, a changed attitude, change that really other people can see. I don't think it means just trusting somebody that they've changed. It's waiting to see, have you changed? That is why I stepped back into my marriage when I wasn't sure what to do because I saw fruit and I do believe he was repentant and there was reconciliation and there was restoration and there was no bringing it up. And I'm really thankful I did that. But then 15 years later, there was a little bit of, I'm sorry, but I didn't see a lot of fruit of repentance at the time and really kind of outlined what I thought that needed to look like before there was any trust and any reconciliation. And I got counsel on that, honestly, because sometimes we can't see ourselves. Like people can talk us into things or we can be so angry we don't see. Both ways we can give in too easily or we can hold a really hard line and we can't see because even as this series talks about, we all have blind spots and we need other people Mm -hmm. in our lives to help us with that. I actually got a lot of counsel on what do I do here and what does repentance look like and what does fruit look like? And I would say later, um, I feel like my ex-husband is walking with God and, and he has repented. But at the time when we were trying to get back together, I didn't see that and I didn't feel any need to reconcile or restore. Now, I did feel like I wanted to forgive in terms of not hold bitterness. And that actually made it so much easier to figure out what the lines were. Like, I'm not angry. I'm not seething at you. I don't want the worst for you, but yet I need to draw some boundaries of what is healthy and what is what is wise. And I think actually not being lividly angry, but we being willing to say, I'm not trying to hurt you, but I need to be wise about what's best for me and what's best for the kingdom mm-hmm. of God and the glory of God. Mm. Believers aren't called to be walked on and, and put themselves in dangerous situations God gives us wisdom and counsel so that we wouldn't do that. And yet we wouldn't be so angry that we keep going over and over how we've been wronged. In the context of Christian community, what has it looked like for you to lean into help and seek wisdom from other believers uh, regarding these really difficult issues, right? Like, I think a lot of times we have a hard thing And we don't just want to rehash it because we're not wanting to gossip and we're not wanting to, you know, just potentially even be led into sin by commiserating with one another. But genuinely, how did you go about that process of finding people, wise voices that could speak into the situation biblically and help you when you didn't have eyes to see for yourself? Yes, that's a great question. 
For me, Hunter, in terms of getting wise voices, one was a Christian counselor that I would really kind of lay out what had happened and what should I do. One was my pastor, who I did the same thing with. And then I had a group of three or four friends and my sister, who I talked to long distance, that I wanted confidentiality from them. So it wasn't that I was openly sharing it in a group. I think confidentiality is really important because you know, gossip spreads pretty quickly, but I don't think somebody who's wounded needs to just completely keep it to themselves. So I think it is really finding trusted people, asking them to be mirrors for you. Like, when do you see me falling into sin? And I'm a pleaser. So some of my sin is always make everybody happy. And people were like, "Uh, I think I need to challenge you on why you're doing this and why you're saying this. And then other times I was off the handle, angry at something that had been said or done. It's like, hey, let's separate what your next response is from what your anger is. And so it involves the person, though, being really transparent. So I had to sort of let down my nice girl appearance and just say exactly what I was thinking and feeling, because if I didn't, then people wouldn't really understand what had happened. And another thing that I did, I'm a journaler and journals help a lot because in the moment you write down everything you're feeling and everything that you want to say to the person. And then you have a little distance when you go back and read it a day or two days or three days later. You're like, oh, okay, well, maybe I didn't see this or maybe I need to see that. So I found that I could be my own counselor, weirdly. And then it was praying. It was like, God, there's a lot of counsel. And sometimes the counsel was different, honestly. Like, I had people that said I needed to file for divorce really early. Like, why was I staying in a marriage? And and I didn't mention it, but my ex-husband's person he was with got pregnant. And so we were trying to figure this out while he was having a baby of somebody. She was having his baby. And I was like, okay, this is so hard to figure out. And some people were like, why did you even, like, why are you not divorced by now? And and that was a question I kept asking myself, like, why am I not divorced by now? But then other people were like, you don't have any right to file. If he is wanting to work on it, then you have to stay in there and work on it. And I was like, wait, both of these are pretty extreme. Like, it wasn't that either of them could be wrong. It could be that I needed to work on it, or it could be that I needed to get divorced. Like, they weren't wrong pieces of advice, but I needed... God to show me what to do. And so that was a lot of it was laying it out there saying, these people have valid opinions. And I think you could find backing for both of them, yet I need your wisdom. And I think that's an important piece of whenever we seek counsel is also seeking God in it. Absolutely. And I think moving from the word, and that's Mm -hmm. one of the things that I'm like always striving to grow in as a friend and as someone who's doing life with other believers in the context of a local church, trying to faithfully just live in submission to the authority of the word of God. Like, what does the word say? So let's talk a little bit about how the gospel compels us to forgive, because I'm like, you know, if I'm going to be offering any prescriptive advice, I want to be falling back hardest on like God's word and on the truths of the gospel and then moving out from there. So can you talk about how the gospel really compels us to walk in forgiveness? Well, I think the gospel compels us to walk in forgiveness because Jesus died for an enormous sin of ours. Like the ways other people have sinned against us really do pale in comparison 
But sometimes we don't see that, honestly. Like sometimes I think I've never done anything as bad as leaving somebody. So we don't see it that way, honestly, at times, but it really is going beneath the surface of when are the times that we have hated And we have to look at what Jesus says in terms of, you know, committing adultery is like having lust in your heart and hating is like committing murder. And just seeing that God sees the heart and the heart behind a rash response is often different than the heart behind a controlled response, maybe, but a whole lot of bitterness underneath it. And so for me, a lot of it has been really seeing my sin. And when I don't see it, asking God to show me. And that's a scary thing. I mean, I remember several times just saying, show me my sin. And it was kind of horrifying, like realizing how angry and how manipulative I am and how much I want people to think the best of me and how much I don't want good for other people the bottom line. And so I think a lot of it is understanding the depth of our own sin and realizing that God carries that and died for that. And so we stand before God justified. And so for us to hang on to what other people have done, it really is smaller and realizing that God is just. You know, Romans talks about God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. So it's not that there's not going to be justice. It's that we don't have to take the responsibility for justice. And our forgiveness is not letting them off the hook. And it's not getting them into heaven or or saying God's going to forgive their sin. That's between them and God. It's just saying we are not going to hold on to that because we know how much we've been forgiven. And we want our relationship with God to be clean and clear. And I think one verse that I clung to so many times was in Hebrews 12, where it talks about bitterness. And it says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it, many become defiled. And I think that's what happens when we hold on to unforgiveness is we can't help but tell people how we've been wronged. I mean, there's very few people I know that hold on to bitterness that don't tend to spread it in some way to other people, whether it's the way they respond to people or it's what they actually say. The Bible talks about that it's poisonous, you know, it defiles. And so I think God knows this is good for us to not hold on to it Mm. and that to give it to him and trust that he will handle it rightly because sin will be paid for one way or the other. And so knowing that is the case can let us not feel that we need to make the person pay because that's our desire is I want to make you pay. Just like the parable where there's a master who was owed 10,000 talents and his servant came in and begged saying, please forgive me, give me time. And he actually forgave the debt. And then that servant had a fellow servant who owed him very little and he refused to let it go. And I think that's just the example for us of God has forgiven us so much, and yet we are holding somebody accountable for something smaller, when in a lot of ways, God is going to hold them accountable. We don't have to. Mm. I think a lot of times I experience this tension in my most intimate relationships, like when we're talking about community Maybe it's your local church context. If you're married, maybe it's your marriage. I mean, I have never seen more of my own need for Christ and for forgiveness than in 
those relationships that are so safe. I know, you know, we're in this for the long haul. And then sometimes my back foot shows in a way that I am just not accustomed to seeing. And so it's amazing how God uses community really as a room full of mirrors, like you were talking about, not only to see some of these blind spots where we need to, you know, strive to walk in holiness, but also to see our own sin and to cause us to walk in repentance. And that can be, I think, really, for those of us who maybe trend towards you know, trying to earn our salvation or perfectionism, that can be such a discouragement. And I can feel so downcast uh, just seeing how I continually fail in these areas. How can we really lean into God's help and the deep encouragement that we have in the gospel as we are seeking to be honest about our sin and to receive the grace that we've been extended in Christ, and then to go forth and extend that to those who are around us. I loved what you said about being sort of in a room full of mirrors that we see, see our own stuff. And I think going forward for me, it's just constantly going back to Jesus, you've forgiven me so much. Help me to see what I need to forgive and help me to see where I'm wrong. And I think that is what God has given me a lot of freedom with in terms of just even in the body of Christ and in my relationship with my marriage and my children and my in-laws. And, you know, there's just a lot for me. It just keeps going back to show me my own stuff, show me my own sin, because that's the place where you're working on in me. I think that's where God keeps bringing me back to is open up the word. You need me Hmm. and you don't need to be focusing on how other people have need me and what they need to be fixed in their life. Because that is so much of my idle time, if I don't pull it back, is how I've been wronged, how other people could do it better, how if I were them, I wouldn't have said that or wouldn't have done that. And I know church hurt is such a huge thing because we're fallible, failing people trying to live out the gospel. And we we yeah. hurt each other. And I hurt people all the time, but I really know when people hurt me. I'm not as aware of when I'm hurting people. And so to me, it really is in the morning, like, help me repent. I have a card that I pray every day. It's a repentance card. It is full of different things that I know that I do. I'm critical. I'm controlling. I see my own perspective. And I think... I am able to forgive much more when I'm not convinced I'm right in everything because I'm able to sort of see there is another perspective. Now, certainly there's abuse. There's things where there isn't really a perspective. And so I'm not saying there's always two sides to every coin because there are not. I mean, there's things that are inexcusable that have been done to people. But at the same time, a lot of the things that we are dealing with and we're talking about on the show are not those huge life-altering inexcusable things. They're the everyday back and forth we have where there are different perspectives. We even hear differently. And two people recount the same thing with very different details. And so I think that's when forgiveness means really not holding on to it and asking God to show us what we've done. Yeah. Yeah. What's the joy in walking in forgiveness? Like, how does God really use this process? Because obviously, there's purpose, right, in the process. Like, we're all experiencing this to one degree or another, whether it's extreme or minor offenses. 
how is God using this process of forgiveness to make us look more like Christ and to draw us nearer to himself? Yeah, forgiveness has been one of the most life-giving things I have ever done. Like besides committing my life to Jesus, it has changed me more than anything because it has helped Mm. me keep my eyes on Jesus because I have to keep going back to him because I'm not a natural forgiver. It's not a once and done, like I forgive you, I've moved on. It is an every day, every time I think of something, I have to give it back to God. And that requires me to be talking to God. It requires me to be in his word for him to convict me of things and show me things and It has made my walk with God so much sweeter because I realize the times that I am angry and walking in unforgiveness, that Mm. blocks my time with God. Like half my prayer time, my mind is wandering to the things that have been done to me. Whereas when God lets me let that go and kind of prize it out of my hands, then my prayer time is more about Jesus and my walk with Him and, and what He's teaching me and joy. It's amazing. I don't think bitterness and joy can coexist. Whereas bitterness Mm. and sorrow can, I mean, bitterness doesn't coexist with anything but anger and ulcers and fractured relationships. Whereas joy and sorrow can coexist. Joy and hurt can coexist, but hurt doesn't have to become bitterness. Hmm. That was so good. Thank you so much for that. I'm so encouraged. Do you have any other encouragement for the woman who is a lot like the lady that you described at the TGCW conference, who just is really struggling to see the case for forgiveness and really struggling to walk in forgiveness with someone who's offended her? Yeah. A few things I would say to someone is, one, it's about your relationship with God. Forgiving is not saying that what happened to you was minor. I had one friend once tell me we're never as much like Christ as when we're willing to suffer for the sins of others. So you may be suffering for the sin of someone else and you're being like Christ to do that. That doesn't mean that you need to be back in relationship with that person, but it means that you're not going to go over and over what they did to you and that you're going to release them to God because God knows exactly what's going on. And if they repent, it's going to change their walk with God. And it could really change your relationship with them. But at the same time, it's not contingent on that because you want to walk in freedom. And I know how hard it was for me to forgive every single one of the things I mentioned to you, though, at the very beginning. So don't imagine it's going to be easy. It's going to feel like death. And you're probably listening Mm -hmm. to this like, that's for other people. I can't let this go. And that's what I think a lot of times. But then ask God to help you let it go. We can't do it ourselves. So I would say if you're listening to this and you're like, this is too hard, And I kind of enjoy thinking about the way I've been wronged. You might not think that, but that's how I am. I kind of like that feeling like, uh, yeah, I'm right here. Ask God to change you. It begins and ends with God. And it's such a simple thing, Hunter, but I feel like I've spent half of my Christian life feeling like I need to do it myself. And I forget, I just need to say, God, I can't do this. Do this for me. He's waiting for us to say that, but we feel like we need to get it together, and then come to him. And so if you're listening and you're like, I can't do it, I would just say out loud, God, I can't do this. Help me want to Mm. want to. I don't want to. Give me that. And he will. Like God is waiting for that from us. And Mm -hmm. so that's what I would say to the person who's really been wrong. Mm. 
What are some other practical things? You mentioned at the beginning this forgiveness journal. I love that example. Again, these are practical things, right? They're not prescriptive. They just may be descriptive of what's been helpful for you as you have walked through so many different circumstances that have required you to extend forgiveness. What are some things that have helped you to really forgive others? I would say the forgiveness journal was one of the biggest ways. But another thing that I've done, several things, one is release rather than rehearse. And it's every time I want to go over the way I've been wronged to give it to God and say, help me to not dwell on this. And other times it's really to actively think of the ways that someone has actually been there for me. And this is often with friendships where somebody has really done something that is painful Sometimes we end up focusing on all the bad things, you know, and that's true of marriage too. Like we think about, oh, my husband has done this so many times. He's just doing it again. And I don't want to forgive this time because, you know, he keeps doing it. But what God has helped me with is rather than rehearse it and just keep stacking up, I kind of picture like stacking up boxes like, wow, and finally there's a wall. But it's thinking, what are the kind things they've done? What are the times they've listened to me? What are what are the changes I've seen? Give me mm. compassion and give me eyes to see what I can't see. And that has helped me often really start taking those boxes down because sometimes the boxes and the bricks get so high, we can't even see the other person. All we can see is their offenses. So it's sort of this visual mm. picture that I try to do is like once I realize I'm stacking boxes is let me start taking them down intentionally. Mm, those are both so good. Okay, I'm excited to put those into practice. And Vanita, I'd also love to hear, you know, on the show, historically, we ask, what are your three simple joys? Well, I thought it feels so backward, but this is just right in line with your thought processes. You know, you and I were chatting before we got onto the show and you said some of my favorite things are talking about suffering and forgiveness. So I know you're going to enjoy this question. So we're going to take a different take on the three simple joys question. And I'd love to hear what are your three simple joys of walking in forgiveness? Yeah. Freedom. Like, I did Mm. not know how trapped I was with unforgiveness until I forgave. And there's this freedom, like, you just want to laugh. You're so happy because you are not holding on to something that that is really like poison. So that's Mm -hmm. one simple joy. The other one is your walk with God will deepen. It will change it. Like, I just remember being so connected to God in ways that I hadn't before right after I decided to forgive. That just it felt like a real new relationship with Jesus because it wasn't bound up in me trying to rehearse all the things that somebody had done to me. So I would say that's another simple joy. And then sleep. <laughs> I know that sounds weird, but when you're really mad at somebody and you're holding on to unforgiveness, like you wake up and you're rolling over it in your mind, you go to bed, you're thinking about it, yeah. and you can just sleep and not worry about what has been done to you. And I, I'm loving sleep, so so unforgiveness can really <laughs> rob me of that. And so I would say that's another just simple joy of forgiveness is peace and mm. sleep and rest. That just all of those sort mm. of go together for me is just not being mm-hmm. in knots anymore. 
Absolutely. I think that's even a great way to kind of examine your life and see if there may be roots of unforgiveness, just to see if some of those things are missing. And then to humbly ask the Lord for help, as Vanitha so wisely encouraged us to do. Vanitha, who's had the greatest impact on the way that you forgive others? Well, one person, so there's people in my life, but I would say one book that really helped me was The Hiding Place, which is an old oh, book. Oh, Corey Ten Boom. Um, Corey Ten Boom yes. was in Holland and her family hid the Jews during World War II. And then she and her sister went to a concentration camp, her whole family, actually her, her dad. And her sister died there. And the man who had really been cruel to her sister became a believer, wouldn't have remembered her at all. But she saw him speak uh, when she was speaking, and he came up to shake her hand to say, thank you. You know, I know God has forgiven me. And she she didn't want to shake his hand because he, wow. he had been cruel and didn't even remember it, which is the worst part, I'm sure. And maybe not the worst part. There's so many horrible parts about it. And yet she asked God for the ability to forgive him. And she lifted up her hand and sort of God's power flowed through her. And I heard read that story when I was little. My mom told me that story. And it has stuck with me that there is power wow. in forgiveness. And we don't have to do it ourselves. Like Corey was like, I don't know what to do. And I love that picture of God is just asking for us to ask him. Like he gets we don't know what to do. He gets that it's hard. And so she had a big impact and lots of other ways she forgave and really looked to the Lord. But that story really um, has impacted me over the years. Well, your story has certainly impacted me as well. And I praise God for the way he's using it. I praise him for the way in which you have followed him in the path of forgiveness, because it's such a testament to his grace in our lives. So thank you so much, Vanitha, for your willingness to share the story of how God's drawing you nearer to himself in these hard places. And we are just so grateful to get to benefit from that today. It's been a joy to have you on the Journey Women podcast. Ah, It's been wonderful to be here, Hunter. I'm so glad. We are so grateful that you joined us for today's episode of the Journey Women podcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing this series with a friend and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss next week's episode. This episode was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com. We are so grateful for them and for you. Can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week. Have a great week.